Hello and welcome to Rollins Around Town. I'm Sam Stark and I serve as the Vice President of Communications and External Relations here at Rollins College. Rollins Around Town is a showcase of outstanding people who make dynamic and important contributions to the Rollins campus and throughout Central Florida. In either case, these are difference makers who help uplift the mission and brand of Rollins and who help make our region a special place to live, learn, and work. Today, I am delighted to welcome Bakari Burns. Bakari was born and raised here in Orlando, and he attended Jones High School, uh, Florida A&M University, where he received a Bachelor of Science degree in healthcare management and a Master of Public Health. In 1996, he joined Bond Community Health Center in Tallahassee, where through his tenure, he held the positions of Administrative Manager, Finance Director, Chief, Chief Operating Officer, and Chief Executive Officer. In 2003, he joined the Healthcare Center for the Homeless here in Orlando as President and CEO, where he continues to serve. Under his leadership, the center is now known as Orange Blossom Family Health. In 2007, he received the Martin Bell Scholarship to attend Crummer Graduate School of Business here at Rollins College, where he graduated in 2009 with a Master's of Business Administration. He also serves as uh, City Commissioner, District 6 for the City of Orlando. So, Commissioner Burns, welcome. Thank you for joining us here on Rollins Around Town. Thank you, Sam. My pleasure. So, let's start a little bit with your, with your days in high school. Okay. You know, do you remember sitting at Jones High School, either as a junior or senior, thinking about college? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, what were you thinking? And, and was Rollins anywhere you know, on your radar and kind of what did you know about Rollins at that time? Yeah, so I, I did have the pleasure of attending uh, Jones High School uh, where my mother, uh, Barbara Page Burns, taught mathematics for um, about 29 years. Nice. So uh, growing up, I always knew that I wanted to attend college. Yeah. Uh, not sure how it would pay for it, uh, how it would get there, but it was always instilled in me that you uh, have to go to college again to better yourself and, and put yourself and your family in a better position. So I do remember being a junior and senior uh, at Jones High School contemplating, you know, at that time wh- whether I would go to the service or would I go to college. Uh, and I had not Rollins was not on my radar at that time, but I did uh, growing up hear about the Rollins Upward Bound program, and I knew of uh, several individuals who had benefited from that program. I personally didn't attend, so I I knew of Rollins, but as far as uh, attending Rollins, uh, it wasn't really on my radar. And to be honest, uh, I come from a line of uh, Florida A&M Rattlers, FAMU Rattlers. Go Rattlers. Yes, go Rattlers. (laughs) And so uh, FAMU was always my number one, my number one uh, choice. Uh, And it was interesting, Sam, that in my senior year, um, I was, had not made a decision, had not received any scholarship offers. And I uh, scored pretty good on the ASVAB at, in, in high school. And so I was actually really contemplating going to the service. I had met with some recruiters mm. uh, and probably was a week or two away from uh, joining the service. And I went to a scholarship ceremony that was held at Jones. And at that time, uh, Valencia provided scholarships who I think the top 20%. Yeah. So I knew I was, I think I was in maybe in the top 10 or top 15%. So I knew that I would have an opportunity to get a scholarship to attend Valencia. So I actually wasn't going to go to the ceremony. Uh, my mom convinced <laughs> me to go. And so when I went, uh, I was surprised and 
delighted that I was selected for the Walt Disney World prepaid scholarship. And so this was a program that at that time, Disney World would uh, give a scholarship to a, a senior at each one of the high schools in Orlando. And so in 1992, I was selected for that scholarship. So it was a full scholarship to where I could attend any uh, state school wow. in Florida That's for free. Amazing. Uh, and so that gave me the opportunity to uh, fulfill my dream of attending Florida and M University. That's fantastic. What a what a great story and the fortuitous uh, that you decided to go to that meeting. So thanks, right, thanks right. mom, right? Yes. But it, my, one of my, my first job out of Rollins was Florida Citrus Sports. And, and as you know, today, uh, the, the, the stadium still hosts uh, the Florida Classic. And right. back in the early 90s, we hosted a, a, f- a couple of FAMU games. Mm-hmm. And all I had heard about was this band. The band, yes, and the I March thought, 100. Come on. I mean, it's a band. <laughs> right. And then you see them live and in person. Right. And I mean, I don't think people fully appreciate the talent and the athleticism of mm-hmm. the band members. Forget the, band the, the football team. Right, <laughs> But right. the band is... Uh, is pretty spectacular, and, and I would I would venture to say that a, a large percentage of, of the attendees to the Florida Classic, now the Florida Blue, that's right, Classic, yes. Florida Blue Flo, uh, Florida Classic, uh, a large percentage of them come to see the band, yeah, no doubt. You know, because it's interesting that um, you know after halftime, oftentimes people leave uh, because <laughs> right. the band has played, but but here lately the games have been very interesting, so people tend to stay around. Yeah. So the marching one hundred is definitely a draw for okay. for. You know, Love it. A, great, a great event and great for our community. Um, so right after your master's program uh, at Florida A&M in public health, you chose a field that, I mean, in truth, saves lives. Did, did, you, did you know that was what your, your career path was going to be, sort of in this public health role, or did somehow that just emerge through your higher ed studies? Yeah, so um, when I graduated, well, when I was in high school, um, you know how they have the uh, teach-ins mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. professionals come yeah. back. And so uh, there was this uh, one pharmacist uh, uh, at, the, at the time, Alan Wiggins, now uh, Archbishop Alan Wiggins uh, of the Hope Church. And he came in, he was a pharmacist. And so he talked about the profession of pharmacy. And at that time, I said, you know what? Um, I want to be a pharmacist. So I was in 12th grade because uh, he graduated from Florida and as well. So I was like, wow, that's perfect. FAMU, pharmacy. Uh, and then I did some research and just uh, found out the great um, pharm- college of pharmacy that FAMU had. So I initially went to school to become a pharmacist. Yeah. Uh, and then my freshman year, I uh, took chemistry 1045. <laughs> Uh, and struggled a little bit. <laughs> and I think it was then I said, well, you know, maybe pharmacy is not for me. Right. And I, but I did still want to stay in healthcare, but more on the business side of, of healthcare. So at that point, I changed my major to healthcare management and then uh, completed my, my bachelor's. So to answer your question, I did not know exactly where yeah. I, I wanted to work in healthcare, but what was known to me was hospital administration. Uh, long-term care facilities. So those were the two areas that I had learned most about. Right. But during my internship, I had the opportunity to be an intern at a community health center, Bond Community Health Center, which is a federally uh, qualified health center that provides uh, access to medical uh, and mental health services to people regardless of their ability to pay. And so it was through that internship that I really recognized and I saw people that were very hard working individuals 
who just for some reason didn't have access to health care services, whether their job didn't provide it, it was too expensive. And see, and I grew up, you know, my mom was a teacher, so I never went without an annual physical or right. went without seeing a dentist. So I just thought everyone had access hmm. to those services. But it was at Bond when I realized there are some hardworking people who don't have that access. And so at that point, that's when I started to fall in love with the mission of community health centers and really started focusing on the true public health and serving of the underserved right. uh, community members. So it was at during my internship at Bond Community Health Center that I fell in love with just the whole concept of uh, public health and community health centers. Yeah, wow, that's impressive. So talk about the work of, of Orange Blossom Family Health, where, where, where you currently work and have since 2003? 2003, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the... Uh, uh, Orange Blossom Family Health, uh, actually, uh, our corporate name is the Healthcare Center for the Homeless. And we were founded in 1993. And, uh, and so we were founded by a local physician, um, Dr. Baxley, who at that time was getting his master's in public health and saw a need to ensure that <coughs> individuals who were experiencing homelessness in our community had access to healthcare services. So he approached the Coalition for the Homeless and <clears throat> the uh, coalition and said, you know, I would like to begin volunteering my services, providing medical access to medical services to the residents of the coalition. So it started off as a, uh, a, a totally volunteer program. Mm -hmm. And then the administration at the Coalition for the Homeless uh, was concerned about the malpractice risk of providing medical services. So then it was determined that they would form a separate 501c3 nonprofit, and that's when the Healthcare Center for the Homeless was born. Uh, and then uh, shortly after Dr. Baxley began caring for patients, you know, as a physician, he started to realize that one of the main issues that people are coming to him for was dental services. Mm -hmm. And so he then contacted uh, Dr. Bruce Gordy, who's a local dentist. Yep. They partnered together uh, and just really grew, grew the program. And so we moved from 93 from being a, a primarily volunteer organization until 2001 when the organization received some federal funding, which then um, and prior to that, we received some Robert Wood Johnson funding to financially support the volunteer activities. Right. But when we started to receive the 330E funding from the federal government, it really kind of changed the game for the health center because then it wasn't a total reliance on volunteers. There were some additional resources that came in to hire permanent staff. Right. And so that happened in 2001 and then 2003 I came on board, and so I've been serving in that capacity yeah. uh, ever since. So we, we, we started off focusing our services on our community members who were experiencing homelessness. Uh, but then what we saw when, when I came on board and we started to have those discussions is our goal is to help individuals move transition out of homelessness into a life of self-sufficiency. So we say once we move them out of homelessness, we still want to make sure that they have access to quality health care services. Gotcha. So then we started to expand our scope to not just people experiencing homelessness, but to the general uh, underserved community, uninsured, underinsured, and then individuals just were, who were from uh, underserved mm -hmm. areas. So then our, our scope of our project started to, uh, started to increase. Right. And then that's when shortly after that, we decided to uh, uh, adopt a doing business as name 
Because again, if someone was no longer homeless, coming to a facility that said healthcare center for the homeless, we didn't want them right. to, we didn't want that to be a trigger. Right. We they didn't, didn't want, want that. Right. They didn't want that. Yeah. But also we didn't want someone who's needing healthcare services who may not be homeless to see that sign and say, okay, those services are not for me. Yeah. So we changed the name to be as an approach to be more inclusive, yeah. inviting and welcoming to all community members who may be in need of uh, quality healthcare Fantastic. services. And interestingly enough, right, Dr. Gordy is a former city commissioner in Orlando, too. Yes, yeah. he is. That's, yes, that's yes, yes. And, and actually, Dr. Gordy continues to uh, faithfully serve on our board. Wow, that's yeah, incredible. He's a great guy. So how does how does your organization fit into the sort of the greater homelessness ecosystem of Central Florida? I mean, there is the coalition. Right. There's entities like, I think, Shepherd's Hope and Grace mm-hmm. Medical Center that offer you know, health care. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how, how do you all work together? Do you sort of stay in your lanes? Is there massive you know, integration and partnership? Yeah, I, I would say definitely massive partnerships, mm-hmm. uh, because one of the things that we're fortunate here in Orange County is we have a collaborative called the Primary Care Access Network. Right. And two of the organizations that you mentioned, Shepherd's Hope and Grace Medical, are also part of that collaboration. So back uh, several, several years, actually, before I came on board, um, there was some planning that took place, and and the uh, individuals at that time said we needed to look at Orange County, break it up by zip codes, and then uh, assign patients based on their zip code to these individual health centers. So you had at that time the healthcare center for the homeless, you mm-hmm. had um, uh, True Health, uh, also community health centers, which was kind of based out of Winter Garden. True Health was originally based out of out of Sanford. So those groups came together and said, we're going to work together to ensure that the residents of Orange County have access to quality healthcare services. But also the key was the financial investment that the county made into this system. Right. Because you can have partners to come around and say, okay, we're going to work together. But oftentimes, especially when you're talking about expensive services like medical services, you have to have some financial support. And so Orange County has uh, continued to step up to the uh, to the mic and uh, provide that financial support. So we work very closely. One of the things when we talk about our fellow homeless service um, uh, organizations, we are kind of that that common thread of all of those homeless services. So we partner with the coalition. We partner with Homeless Services Network, Christian Service Center. So any organization in the tri-county area right. that provides services, regardless of what types of service they provide to our community members who are experiencing homelessness, we partner with them. So we are the healthcare provider. We also have a robust uh, outreach team we call the hope team and so they actually go out into the wooded areas into the streets find individuals who are homeless do an assessment and get them connected with services that they may qualify for That's so it's not just the medical piece the dental piece that but also mm-hmm. what we are so proud of is that we've been able to take a holistic approach to caring for our patients which integrates um, systems of primary health care, mm-hmm. uh, dental services, but also one of the key p- uh, parts of this for our homeless community is the mental health and substance abuse. Right. And so we've integrated those mental health and substance abuse services into our primary care setting. And so when a patient, uh, when a, one of our doctors sees a patient, determines that there's a mental health concern or a substance abuse issue, Uh, they have immediate access to a licensed clinical social worker that can come into the exam room at that time, 
to provide some brief intervention if that's what's needed or to make uh, help to facilitate longer term therapy or right. uh, substance use um, uh, services as well. So, again, we pride ourselves in taking that truly holistic yeah. approach and truly caring for the entire uh, entire person and not just, you know, the physical health or the dental health, but looking at the total health of individuals. So important. I mean, yes. I, th- this is more almost like a personal soapbox for me, but, I, you know, homelessness is, is, a, is a massive problem, but I think people get caught up in, in the thinking that it, it's, it's one problem. And if you give them a home, if you give them affordable housing, like that's just the beginning of it. Yeah, right. And so I, I kind of have termed it social capital, mm-hmm. where so many people in our community have zero social capital, and that mm-hmm. doesn't allow them to get transportation. It doesn't allow them to get an education. It doesn't allow them to get health care. It doesn't allow them to get you know jobs, employment. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how, you know, I just worry that, that things are too singular and, right. and that there's no, you know, kind of community merging to, to the greater problem, which is again is just massive massive you know and, and one of the things that you know fortunately probably about eight years ago our community um uh kind of ca- came around or gathered around a concept called housing first yeah all right and this was a a, a concept that looks at <clears throat> you know truly how do you address homelessness because the the previous to that what we would see is we would have to individuals would have to um, get clean from the substance use to be able to be housing ready. Right. Or we would have to address their mental health to get them housing ready. But this model kind of flips that on, on the head and says everyone is housing ready. And so what, what we started to, as an organization, what we started to look at is really seeing that housing is health care. All right. Mm-hmm. Housing is health care because one one day uh, one of my site nurse practitioners, uh, Miss Janet Hutchison, came to me and was just excited about the improvements of one of her clients. And so I asked, her, I said, Janet, well, what did you do different? She had been working with this guy for a couple of years. I said, Janet, what did you do different? She said he got housing. Mm-hmm. She said, I did personally, I did nothing different. But he got into housing, and then what, what started to happen is his life started to normalize a little bit. And so she said what started to happen is while he didn't stop using the substance, he used it less. And so we started to see housing as healthcare, but also as a harm reduction approach to addressing individuals. So yeah. this housing first model says you get get the most chronically homeless individuals off the streets, get them into housing, and then wrap the services yeah. Around them. And we've seen that right now, after about seven years, 98 percent of the people that we get into that program remain housed, great. you know, past a year. And so I have to give a big up to um, uh, our Orlando mayor, yep. Buddy Dyer, uh, the uh, mayor of the county at that time, uh, Miss Teresa Jacobs, yep. uh, as well as a, a community member, uh, Andre Bailey, yeah. because he was the he and I kind of sat down and, you know, hashed things out and, and you know, and just really put kind of put the program together, but it was it was one of his he was really one of the visionaries for that happening and really helped to get our local uh, elected officials on board. Yeah. And so now we see that we've been able to just out of the downtown Orlando house over 400 individuals who at this point remain um, 
remain permanently housed. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, right. what's clear is that we have good community leadership, and that's yes. always, to me, been a real advantage um, in Central Florida. Right. And so right. Uh, kudos to you, and, and thanks for, for that. Give a, a quick snapshot. How, how many people work in, in your organization? So at uh, Orange Blossom Family Health, we have 174. Wow. Yeah, so, and, you know, just to explain some of the growth, when I took over, we had 23 employees, uh, budget of about uh, $1.9 million. So today, like I say, 174 uh, employees, and we have an annual budget of about $17 million. So here you are since 2003, you know, changing lives, growing an important community uh, nonprofit organization, and then... I guess maybe it's 2019 you decide. You had this crazy idea. You're going <laughs> to run for office and you want more to do. Uh, talk a little bit about sort of what was the why for, for how you, you know, decided to get into public service. You know, um, I've always, you know, service I see at, is my family business. You know, individuals may say, okay, uh, healthcare or, you know, their family business may be X, Y, or Z. My family business uh, has been service. You know, I grew up watching my mother give up her time to her students, watching my grandmother do the same. And so I always was focused on how can I help someone else. My my uh, uncle, my mother's brother, uh-huh. uh, Ernest Page, actually served Indeed. as uh, city commissioner yes, for District did. 6 right. uh, and served as uh, as the mayor for, I believe, about 40 days. So I had a lot of examples of service to the community. Okay. Now, if you would have asked me when I moved back here to become the CEO, would I run for office? <laughs> uh, I would have said no, right. because I saw myself, you know, providing this health care as that's my focus, that's my calling. Uh, but then, you know, what happened is I started to say, you know, if I'm going to be an advocate for health care, I also have to be an advocate for housing. I also have to be an advocate for economic development, yeah. equal opportunity. And so also through my time at the health center, I saw, uh, as we just mentioned, when we have great leadership, you can get things done, yeah. you know. But also I experienced when you have uh, self-centered elected officials, a lot of good things get blocked because it's not going to highlight them or what have you. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, I said, you know, I felt that I did have a little more to give. Uh, but one of the key things is that the commissioner at the time, uh, Commissioner Sam Ings, decided that he was going to run for mayor. Right. Uh, and I saw him and he said, you know, uh, Bakari, you made you I would like you to consider running for my seat. I said, OK, you know, it wasn't really on my radar right. at that time. Uh, but then other community members who heard that he was running for mayor started reaching out to me. And so then it was like, OK, it's not just me potentially wanting to do that. Yeah. I started to feel that my community was calling me to do that. Nice. Uh, and so I, I prayed about it, spoke with my family. The biggest person that I need to convince was my mother uh, because she would tell people, people would ask her about me getting into politics. And she would say he can get into politics after I'm dead. And so that that was, you know, I said, OK, well, that was a, a hard, you know, a hard discussion right. to to initially have. But when I told her and I told her why, she said, I'm with you, That's you great. know, and she's been in my corner ever since then. So it was more of. You know, me feeling that I had uh, a little more to give yeah. to my community. And also, I'm a big believer, give give it while you can, yeah. while you have the energy. Uh, but also, politics, I think, kind of is an extension of the service that I was already 
providing through the through the health service because you know we're fortunate that we have six locations through orange osceola and seminole county one of our newest locations in the ivy lane community and that's one that i had a vision for probably for about 12 years before it happened uh so just to see people respond uh and also i wanted to be in a position that if someone has good ideas and want to uh, affect change in our community i want to be there to help facilitate that so you know, my, my job, I see my job as a commissioner as being one to advocate for the needs of my residents, but also to facilitate change, to uh, connect with resources, and more, like I said, a, as a facilitator for improving our, our community. And, yeah. and it has been great. You know, it's been uh, two years. Yep. Uh, but it, what was interesting, Sam, is after I was elected, I was sworn in January 13th. Soon after that, the pandemic hit. Right. All right. And so, you know, my dealings in public health, like, you know, Lord, thank you for allowing me to serve in this position. But then following that, the murder of George Floyd. Right. So now here I am, a city commissioner, run a organization designed at pub- for public health, have a master's of public health. But also I'm a I'm a black man. Yeah. And so it was a lot of things that just converged yeah. at that time that really uh, kind of trial by fire. You know, I was thrown right in the frying pan. Uh, but I'm fortunate that, again, the, you know, I thank the Lord to this day that he allowed me to be in this position to serve in this capacity with my experience, you know, from health care, from being from Orlando, but also with my my experience yeah. as a black man wow. in America. Timing uh, timing matters. And there's there's something to that. There's, there's right. no question about it. Right. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're in that role. What what you know, I, I, that was really one of my questions was mm-hmm. aside from covid, if this is even a possible you know question <laughs> to ask, what what are the biggest challenges and goals you know, sort of maybe a little bit holistically within the city, but maybe more specifically within District 6? Yeah, well, one of the things, Sam, that that has really been troubling since I got into office is the uh, youth gun violence. Mm-hmm. You know, I it's probably been upward to 20 young people uh, killed by gun violence since I've been elected. Uh, not necessarily all of them being in District 6, right. uh, but some of them living in District 6, District 5, you know, the district of my my colleague and friend, uh, Commissioner Regina Hill. Uh, so that's that's one of the things that continues to trouble uh, trouble us and plague our, our community is the number of individuals who are being killed mm. by gun violence. You know, we're talking about 14 and 15 year olds who are have access to AK-47s and AR-15s and are not afraid to use them. And uh, so that's one of the things that, you know, we're is is on one of the priorities of working with our community members, our schools, um, you know, our family parks and rec division, as well as our police to start to formulate some uh, uh, initiatives or interventions to curb some of that, that gun violence. So that's one of the things that, when I got it, when I was coming into office, was not one of my high priorities because I hadn't been that close to it. Yeah. But once I got in and started experiencing it, it did become, uh, you know, one of my priorities. But throughout the city and actually throughout the state and nation, you know, affordable housing. Yeah. You know, affordable housing. Again, this goes back to my days where, you know, my work with the healthcare center for the homeless. Yeah. We've always been advocating for affordable housing because, again, Housing is healthcare, you know, and really looking at this other social determinants of health, 
uh, that exist. Um, so, you know, uh, affordable housing, but also services for our seniors, uh, because we have um, a lot of seniors in our community who have been giving of themselves help build Orlando, help build the reputation of Orlando, not on fixed incomes and need some resources and services. So, you know, focusing on on the services uh, to our seniors, but also infrastructure. Yeah. You know, we, there's a lot of infrastructure needs in the in the community. And I'm, I'm uh, fortunate that we have such a uh, collegial um, uh, city commission yes. to where, you know, that's led by Mayor Dyer, who truly wants to be inclusive, truly wants to ensure that everyone has opportunities, but that no uh, uh, community or no district is left out. So we have ushered in a lot of uh, infrastructure uh, projects in my district, but also transportation. Yeah, You know, transportation is an issue. Many of our, my residents, uh, residents in my community or my district um, are employed at Disney World. Right. And they communicate to me that it may take them three or four hours to get to work in three or four hours to get back. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, with that six hours, you know, in your right. day, that's kind of dead time, if you will. So transportation, having more efficient transportation. Uh, so that's why I'm ex- I was excited to hear the uh, the initiative from Orange County Mayor for the um, the, yes, the tax indeed. for transportation. Then, you know, COVID hit. So that, you know, uh, uh, died down, which yep. I which I understand, but I have heard and understand that that will be coming back up, and so I'm in support of that because there's 1,500 individuals moving to Central Florida every week. Right. I know that was pre-pandemic. I think we may be getting back up to that number. So we have to make sure that the infrastructure, the transportation systems are in place so we can continue to have a thriving community, one that's focused on the quality of life, and that we can truly continue to live up to the city beautiful. Right. Uh, so those are some of the, yeah, you know, some of the main issues that are affecting our community. But then, you know, we get down to, you know, a little more specifics of ensuring that our city departments are responsive to District 6. Right. You know, when we talk about code enforcement, we talk about other departments, ensuring that District 6 is getting their fair share of attention and resources from uh, from the city. But another area that that is of concern and, and is a priority is the support for our small businesses, yeah. you know, and more specifically our minority and women owned businesses, yeah. because we have a uh, MWBE program within the city. Um, and so we just want to make sure that that program is truly serving uh, meeting the the goals of the program, but ensuring that every individual, every business owner who wants to participate has the opportunity to get contracts from the city uh, because the city in itself has generated a lot of generational wealth yes. for some. Yes. But may not for others. So we want to make sure that, again, everybody has that opportunity to benefit from all of the resources that the uh, beautiful city of Orlando has to offer. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I, and you, you mentioned the transportation initiative that Mayor Demings and what's interesting, and in, you know, you probably recall it in the early two thousands, Mayor Crotty at the yes. time, you know, yeah. had Mobility Twenty Twenty. Mobi- yes, and um, yep. the community rejected it. Mm-hmm. And boy, what a mistake what a that mistake. was! And uh, I sure hope that uh, the community sees it and gets it now, right? Uh, right. Because it's time. It's time. It's definitely time. time. So you touched a little bit about it. Too. And, and one uh, is the collegiality of your 
your colleagues on the Orlando City Commission. I've, mm-hmm. I've been involved with the City of Orlando when I was running the Sports Commission, and we would work with them. And you were a funding partner, and I know still are of the of the current Sports Commission. But I always felt like the City Commissioners, led by Mayor Dyer, and you've mm-hmm. mentioned that a couple of times, which um, is important because there is a culture thing, and, and yeah. his culture has always seemed to me to be collegiality, respect. Um, you know, work with with colleagues instead of against colleagues. And, mm-hmm. you know, as sometimes I see it, and I think a lot of people who watch the news or on any sort of social media, I mean, politics is a tough business. It is. But Orlando City politics, I know it ain't easy, mm-hmm. but uh, there sure does seem to be some civility on your board that maybe doesn't exist everywhere. Is that is that a fair observation? Yeah, I think that's very fair, Sam. And, and I think that's one of the benefits of actually serving at this local level, yeah, you know, because, you know, you're making decisions that uh, impact the lives of our residents almost immediately, you know, and we look at um, Commissioner Jim Gray over in District 1, me in District 6, but there are some shared interests, you know, we have, we live in different communities, there are some different opportunities, different challenges, but all in all, we want the same thing for our community, and that's a safe place that we can, you know, we can raise a family, you know, kind of the live, work, and, and play yes. environment. But what that takes is the opportunity for us to be respectful. Uh, and not that, you know, people may say, oh, the city council always agrees. That's not the case. Right. But we have decided to, if we disagree, let's be respectful. Let's have the debate, have the dialogue, and then bring it to a vote. You know, because just because I disagree with you doesn't mean we have to be disagreeable. Or you disagree with me doesn't mean you personally don't like me. Right. Uh, And we have to continue to say it's not about us individually. It's about the individuals who uh, elected us to serve. And yeah. so I'm, I'm proud to have joined a, uh, a commission, you know, led by Mayor Dyer that is, is very civil, yes. you know, not to say that we don't disagree, <laughs> sure, but we do, we do disagree, but we respect each other to the point that we'll allow individuals to talk, share their experience here. You know, one of the things that um, one of my, uh, an example of this is when following the murder of George Floyd, um, you know, I presented to the mayor, you know, several what I call key action steps. And one of those things was a suggestion for an alternative response team for mental health calls that come through 911. And so um, and I believe the mayor had received, you know, that type of suggestion maybe from from others as well in the community, different community groups. But I formally, you know, presented it to the mayor and it was I was uh, glad that he got his team to study, put together a program. Now we have a a uh, alternative response team when someone calls for 911. And one of the things I remember Commissioner Gray, you know, maybe was kind of on the fence about is this a, a good use of resources? But he did say, I will defer to Commissioner Burns because he has experience in that. And that mm. meant a lot to me. Yes. Because. You know, for the last, you know, at that point, 16 years, that has been my work is is helping and advocating for individuals with mental illness. And I had and this is a type of program that we've been pushing for for the last 10 years. Right. Unfortunately, 
it took for the murder of George Floyd for it to be for a, a light to be shined on it. But now we're here. And so it's those types of things, the respect mm-hmm. level that each commun- uh, commissioner has for each other, I think lays the foundation for us being c- civil and collegial. Because, again, it's not about us individually. It's about how can we best serve our districts. Yes. But understand that we just don't serve the district. We serve the city yep. in general. So we're, we're very fortunate. And I think, you know, when you when you start to move up to the state level, I think it oftentimes becomes a little less civil. You can move up to the federal level, it becomes a yes. lot less civil. Yep. So my focus is is the local politics. That's right. yes. we, we had Representative Escamani on a couple of weeks ago, and she touched a little bit on about that. I'll, I'm actually going to have uh, Congresswoman Murphy on fe- okay. February 9th, and, okay. and I have a feeling she'll... She'll share an interesting perspective <laughs> that, frankly, is a little different than yours. So, right. uh, you know, Commissioner Gray and Commissioner Stewart, two longtime friends of mine, and yes. I just think they're they're good people who I think they, like you said, they have the community in mind and not their personal goals right. and personal profile and personal brand is really not important to them yeah. and, and you and even, and even Mayor Dyer. Right. And, and Commissioner Stewart is one that I've learned a lot from over the years, even from um, – you know, he ran the Christian Service Center. Yes. So we worked together a lot when he was a commissioner and I was just the CEO of the health center. So just to see how he's been able to advocate and navigate and do both yeah. uh, has been a an example for me. But also Mayor Dyer. Yes. You know, I've had the pleasure of working with Mayor Dyer uh, through the homeless initiatives. And I think, you know, the majority of the commission, uh, Commissioner Sheehan, Commissioner, Commissioner Hill Ortiz. Um, and Commissioner yep. Ortiz, yep. through my work with the health center, I encountered them and worked with them on different levels. Yeah. Uh, and so I think I came into came onto the commission with, uh, I think, a foundational respect that they may have had for me because of the work that I've done in the community. For sure. And then I had a respect for them because of how they've advocated and and uh, served their particular, yeah. um, you know, community. So Love it that. was it was kind of a, a good you know, it was I wasn't going in and trying to build relationships with individuals that I didn't know, right. had no idea about. Uh, but there was some foundation of respect that was already drawn, uh, nice. established, you know, because of the work that I had yeah. done. So I think that kind of lend itself to um, a better, uh, a more productive work environment. I love it. Well, I, I will tell you, Rollins, in our admissions marketing, we've never you know, sort of highlighted the fact that we're Orlando, mm-hmm. um, you know, more than we do now. And that's that's a lot of credit goes to the city and, and the county leadership. And so we we love our role and our little place here uh, right. in, in Winter Park in Central Florida. And it's so, a big role. It is. It's a big it role. Thank you, it's indeed. a big role. So let's close a little bit about your experience here at Rollins as, sure. a, as a student in the Crummer Graduate School of Business. How how did that come your way? And, and tell tell us a little bit about your experience through through the Crummer Graduate School of Business. Yeah. So you know that experience was was one was actually life changing for me, um, because I was the recipient of the Martin Bell Scholarship, which is a scholarship that's offered to an executive of a nonprofit right. organization. So I had heard about this scholarship when I first joined the health center in 2003. But at that time, you know, we were, you know, the feds were about to close our doors. And <laughs> so I, I couldn't think about furthering my education. I had to keep the doors open, <laughs> you know, Good at move. my current organization. <laughs> so as we, as we start to get the foundation, you know, people c- continue to mention, you may want to, you know, to do this because Sam, my, when I went to get my master's of public health, my ideal degree was a dual degree 
from with a master's of public health and the M- MBA. The only school that at that time that offered that was the University of Florida, but that would have meant that one I would have had to find a way to pay for it. Right. <laughs> but right. also, I wouldn't have been able to work full time, and I I just did not have that privilege at the time. So I decided to go get my master's of public health, and I always had a a, vi- a goal of receiving an MBA. So I went to the informational session. Uh, and then subsequently was selected to as the Martin Bell Scholar, and and Sam, I have to tell you, the experience was like one like no other, because we are talking about excellence, um, you know, in the curriculum and the the professors and just you know all of that, but also the connections that I made with my classmates, who have who have turned into lifelong friends, you know, to this day, and but also what it did was it broaden my perspective on business because you know oftentimes and you you'll see a trend I think we've seen the trend over the last few years a lot of nonprofits are now hiring individuals from corporate America right. to bring that business acumen if you will yes. to the nonprofit sector and that's why I look at Rollins and say wow they had it right years ago so not just try to find someone of you know out of corporate America and bring me let's build the capacity of our current executives of nonprofits to give them to develop that business acumen in them because we already know they have the heart to serve right now let's you know equip them with the the business skills and and you know and the information so it was a uh, excellent experience really opened my eyes and then you know we started to look at more of the corporate responsibility you know, and that's when I started to pay a little more attention, you know, of the corporate responsibility and how as a nonprofit, how can we um, relate or how can we attract corporations to support the work that we do or even establish their own corporate responsibility platforms. And so I think Rollins helped to kind of shape how I looked at as a nonprofit, you know, and we say nonprofit and you know, really a nonprofit is just a business status. That's right. It's tax status. <laughs> you yeah. still have to, you know, operate with sound business yeah. practices. And uh, I mean, nonprofit just is tax status. Yes. You know, you still have to operate with sound business practices. And so I think uh, uh, Crummer just helped to um, kind of put the icing on the cake, if you will, yeah. or the finishing touches on something that I wanted to do. But also it kind of uh, bought the, the entire picture together for me. So we can be an advocate as a nonprofit, but also you must run your nonprofit like a business and then connect with those in the community that can help, you know, move forward. But, you know, again, I've had several of my former classmates as um, board members nice. of the health center. Several of them uh, continue to financially support uh, the health center. So it, it was a it was a great experience. Yeah, that, that's great. So uh, for those who want to learn more about the health center and, and perhaps support it, where, where can they go? They can go to uh, obfh.org. That's Orange Blossom Family Health uh, dot org. Uh, also, you know, please uh, reach out to us uh, 407-428-5751. That's our phone number. But please visit our website. We're on all the Facebook and other social media. Excellent. Uh, or just Google Healthcare Center for the Homeless. We'll come up Orange Blossom Family Health. Excellent. And, and I want people to recognize that we all can play a role in improving our communities. You know, it, you sometimes you say, okay, well, that's a small role. But if everybody played a small role, we would have a, a large impact. So I just, you know, encourage everyone to get involved. If Find something you're passionate about. 
you know, and get involved, volunteer, serve, contribute, uh, not just to the Healthcare Center for the Homeless, but to other organizations that you feel yes. strongly about as well. Well, as um, I, I will guess, our mutual friend Harvey Massey used to say, yes. and still does, you can't go through life with two catcher's mitts on. At some point, you have to take one off and throw it back. <laughs> and throw it and back, so yeah. you got to throw it back and, and give something I back. I love that. I'm going to have to use that. Bakari Burns, Commissioner, uh, City of Orlando, uh, thank you so much for your time, for your talents, for your gifts uh, and work for our community. You're, 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 you're changing the world, and uh, it's amazing to see. It's fun to learn more about it and you, and I wish you all the best, and um, thanks for, for taking time to be with us this morning. Yeah, thank you, Sam, for the opportunity. Thanks to Angel, our awesome uh, Rollins student, who's our marketing coordinator and operating our board. And keep updated on all of our shows and guests by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Rollins Around Town. And, of course, you can subscribe to our podcast, Rollins Around Town, on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Next week, we will have Rollins Director of Athletics, Penny Parker, on our show. So with that, we wish you a great day, and thanks for tuning in.